Ah, thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, I love you, Genesis. I am so happy to be here. So excited to be able to teach to you today. Uh, we just finished our, our first, um, our second class of women in ministry, and we are having so much fun. Girls, are you there, guys? We have guys in the class, too. You know, you don't have to be a woman to be in a women in ministry class. Just, just wanted to throw that out. But um, super excited, new year, 2020, everybody doing good on all their resolutions, all their stuff. I just don't sense victory in the room right now. Anybody, everybody up on their Bible reading plan? <laughs> We're going to need to have an altar call at the end, I think. Today I want to talk to you about treasure in the wilderness. And um, someone say, fill the space. So 2020 is here, and I, I uh, remembered about, about three weeks prior to the new year, I was listening to a podcast, and, and um, they were telling me, this is the word, this is my word for 2020. And I thought, I realized that I hadn't really asked the Lord for a word, you know, for, for the next year. And so I'm like, man, I want a word for 2020. Everybody, anybody got a word? You got one word, you know what you're supposed to do in 2020? All four of us, yeah. Um, so I just started praying. I said, God, what do you want for me in 2020? What's my word for 2020? And he said, immediately, occupy. Occupy. And I was like, okay. I was surprised that he answered me so quickly, but at the same time, I knew exactly what he meant. Anybody ever get, gotten a word from the Lord and you're like, yeah, because it was not an encouraging word. It was more of a corrective word. Can I get an amen? It was more of a corrective word, but I took it very encouraging because I knew that God was calling me to something greater because he's always calling us to something greater. But he was advising me that I needed to occupy some things that had gotten sloppy in my life. And so I started thinking about it, and I realized that I, I am a sluffer. I'm a sluffer. I realized that I, I looked at my life, and I looked at the things that, that um, I had been doing, and I realized that everything, most of the things, a lot of the things that I do, I don't really do 100%. I do things that the Lord has asked me to do, like be healthy or eat right, but like I've been on an eating plan that I never one day for the last year and a half I was on this eating plan, never one day completely followed it. Can I get an amen? Anybody, any other sluffers in the room? I never successfully just followed that eating plan and didn't add anything to it that I wanted to eat. I have never, I'm 57, never have actually done a Bible reading program through the year. This is the first year that I am committed to doing it. I don't know why. I, I think I'm a rebel at heart, and I don't like to be confined, and so Bible reading plans confine me, but I am 57, and this is the first year that I am, like, determined. I found one that I think I can do, so pray for me, because I want to read the Bible through in a year this year. I read the Bible, don't get me wrong, but I've never read the Bible through, completed a, a Bible reading plan. I usually, I think I've said this before, I usually, I love books, I get books, and I read the first three chapters, and then I'm on to the next book. I just am a sluffer. 
And I really believe that God was really speaking a very strong word. He said, I want you to finish what you started. I want you to occupy and, and clear, clean up the, the weak places, identify those things so that you can live 100% for me because that's what I desire. I mean, we all desire to do 100% for God. So one of the things that we decided, me and my husband decided, and I'm going to tell this story because I feel licensed today because he's not here, first of all. But also, if you've seen the picture that he posted of me on Instagram today, you will know that I have license to tell a funny story about him, right? So go look on Instagram after I get done. So we, start, we decided that we were going to start eating the keto plan, the keto diet. And... We felt like this would be something that we could do, you know, and so Scott was like, as I was telling him about it, he was like so excited, he goes, you mean I can eat steak? And I can have like steak and vegetables every night if I wanted to? You mean like I can do, I mean, he was just all into it. I can have bacon? What do you mean I can have bacon and sausage? And he was so excited about it and so energized. He's preaching it to people. He's telling my kids, you guys need to get on this plan. You guys need to do this. And so we were in Sacramento, and, you know, it's when I was home, and, and, and I was fixing stuff for him, and everything was taken care of for him, and um, making, the, making the great dinners, because I'm trying new recipes and everything. So we get back to Minneapolis, and the first day he comes back to work, well, we had, um, I had just gotten in, like, that day. I was coming in that day, and he'd gotten in the day before, the night before. So I didn't have time to, like, prep for him, do anything for him to help, because he's really useless in the kitchen, can I just say. <laughs> he does a lot of things great, but the kitchen is not one of them. And so he goes to work, and I come home during the day, and by the time we got home, he was in a major meltdown because he had not prepared anything to eat for that day, and he comes home, and he goes, do you mean, what have I committed to? He goes, do you mean to tell me I'm never going to have bread for the rest of my life? What are you talking, I mean, what have I committed to? And he just had a major meltdown. He goes, what are you planning on doing? What do you think you're going to do for the rest of your life? Do you think that, I mean, he was in a major meltdown. My husband can be a drama queen <laughs> at times. How many know it's important to be prepared, right? So God gives, gives me this word, occupy, clean up the sloppy places. To occupy means to take possession of, to fill the space and to seize. And he brought me to Joshua, which we know Joshua chapter 1. It's probably a lot of our favorite verses where God is telling Joshua to, to, to possess the land, to go forward, to move your, your leader now. And um, I love that scripture. I've, I've, I've preached on it several times. And I thought Joshua must, I know Joshua must have been afraid to do what he was being called to do because God had to repeat himself so many times, right? said like eight times, be strong and courageous. But you have to also understand that beforehand in Deuteronomy 34, at the end of Deuteronomy, when Moses was getting ready to pass away, the Bible says that, that Moses laid hands on Joshua. And Joshua was filled with the Spirit and with the Spirit of wisdom. So God prepared Joshua before he called him to go do what he was going to do. God always prepares you, right? God always prepares you. He doesn't put you any place that he hasn't already prepared you to be. So he was prepared and ready. And God was calling Joshua to possess the land and to be strong and courageous. And God 
had already done his part. He said, listen, I have already given you the land that your feet are going to walk on. Everywhere you step, your feet, whatever ground your feet touches, I've already given it to you. He says, no one's going to stand against you. You will, I will never leave you or forsake you. He just inundated him with the promise. He padded the walls. He laid the groundwork for Joshua because he knew that he was going to have to do it afraid, right? And so God had already done his part. And then he said, Joshua, this is your part. He said, be careful to obey the law and to meditate on it. Keep it at the forefront of your lips. Do all that is in it. You know, when God gives you new revelation, there's always a new responsibility. God never gives you something new without saying, okay, there's going to be your part in it. Your investment has to be in this. There's going to be your responsibility. And so he said, be careful to obey and to meditate and to keep the word of God on your lips, like at the forefront of your mouth. Because he needed to understand, Joshua needed to understand from the heart, not just the head. He needed to have a deep heart understanding of this because God was really showing and building a pattern for success for the people. He says, you have it, God says. It's already yours. You're anointed for the job. Don't look back. Don't rehash past failure. Go and possess. Go, let go of your fear. Grab hold of courage and stay close to the word. It's like, it's like our salvation. When we get saved, God says, okay, you have it. It's yours. Don't doubt it. You're anointed now because you have me inside of you. Don't look back and don't rehash past stuff that happened prior to your salvation. But go and possess all the, your, that your inheritance has provided for you in salvation. Don't be afraid. Grab hold of it and courage. Stay close to my word. God has given everything that he needed. And they were heading into the promised land. So we know how to operate in the promised land, right? God said it. Go possess the land. Go do it. Do it afraid. Don't be afraid of what is going to happen. But, but go encourage and possess the land. But you got to remember that they had just failed miserably in the wilderness. The people of Israel failed miserably. Because if you want, and if you want to make it into the promised land, you need to know, be able to make it in the wilderness, right? So none of the original people made it into the promised land because they were whiners and they were complainers and they were rebellious. So there was this whole new crew of people that were going into the promised land. The whiners and complainers didn't make it because they didn't see what God had done in the wilderness. They, had, they, they were a part of it, but how many know you can be looking at something and really not see it? And not appreciate it. All that God had done for him, he'd led them night and day. He had protected them from the enemy. Did they realize that nobody even needed a doctor when they were in the, in the wilderness? Nobody's shoes wore out and their clothes didn't wear out. Nobody ate bread, but they survived. Hello. That's a word for somebody right now. You can go 40 years without bread and still survive. And the Lord said in Deuteronomy 29, he said, For 40 years I, the Lord, led you through the desert. But your clothes and your sandals didn't wear out. And I gave you special food. But 
um, I gave you special food. I didn't, did these things so that you would realize that I am the Lord your God. But the Lord must give you a change of heart before you truly understand what you have seen and what you have heard. God, give us a change of heart. Because so many times we misinterpret the wilderness experience in our lives, don't we? But you know what? God does some of his best work in the wilderness. In the wilderness places, God does some of his best work because it's in that place that everything's kind of fallen off and you're there alone by yourself. Maybe. But he's causing you to, to press in and, and he wants to capture your attention and God speaks there and you hear there because you're in the wilderness and he provides there and he makes you stronger there and he purifies you there and he brings you into alignment there if you will have eyes to see in the wilderness. Now we think the wilderness is this extended time and for the most part, none of us are going to go spend time in the wilderness like that. But I would propose to you that it's not so much physical, but it's more of a mental state called the wilderness mindset that we struggle with in our lives. And a wilderness mindset is devastating. It's always present, but sometimes you don't even realize that it's there. So it's shifty. A wilderness mindset is really shifty. And we have to understand how to apply what happens when I go through a wilderness experience in my life. The wilderness means solitary. It means lonely and desolate. It means uninhabited, uncultivated, deprived of aid or protection, unfriendedness. Wilderness moments can, in our lives, they can come on in an instant. A wilderness mentality can hit you, and if you entertain that thought, it will lead you into a place that you are not designed to be in. That's why it's so important that we have to be solid in our faith and our belief and our understanding of the character and the nature of God so that we can occupy not just in the promised land, but we can occupy in the wilderness. See, Satan is always pushing us towards a wilderness mentality. He wants you isolated. Because when, he, he, when you're isolated, whether you're around people or not, you can still be isolated because where your mind is. He wants to isolate you so there's no other people talking, but he can have full reign. And he's constantly telling you that you're not alone, that you don't belong, that you don't have what you need, that God isn't working on your behalf, that you are deprived and you are, shut, you are being shut out of something. Nobody cares about you. He's always saying that you're not protected and you're victimized. And if we allow God to change our heart in that place, we will discover that there is actually a vast treasure in the wilderness if we will have eyes to see. We will understand what the truth is, which, means, which is that his presence is very real with you in the wilderness. His provision never fails, and he is covering you in protection, that his love is filling you, his help is still there, his kindness is in operation. He is giving you strength even in your weakness. That happens in the wilderness, not just in the promised land. We have to have eyes to see and a heart that's changed so that when we get um, shot at with a wilderness mentality, which the enemy is always trying to shoot at you with, 
we have the understanding of what truth is. That there is a treasure even in the wilderness because God is there. In the New Testament, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus shows us how to occupy in the wilderness. He shows us how to possess or to fill the space when we are tempted to yield to a wilderness mentality because we all are tempted. Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13 is the great wilderness passage of Jesus. And it's really where Jesus changes the wilderness narrative for us. He gives us a visual he gives us a story that we can, we can hold on to and that we could put into our, um, our being to understand that we don't have to be defeated like the people of Israel, but we can walk in victory in the wilderness. Amen? So Jesus is just coming out of being baptized in the Jordan. How many know there's always a big event? The people of Israel had walk through the Jordan. God was there. They could see it, and they successfully walked through the Jordan, and they felt encouraged. They were powerful. Jesus is in that place, and he's being baptized, and it's that place where, if we describe the scene, the baptism of Jesus, and the heavens are opening up, and the presence of God is so there, and his voice is resounding. He's saying, declaring to the world, this is my beloved son. He's Pouring identity all over Jesus for everyone to hear. Because that's what he does. Supernatural activity is going on. He's revealing his promise to everyone around and to Jesus. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, it says this. It says, Jesus now, full of the Holy Spirit, he left the Jordan and was led into the Spirit, led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted. Now, those are two words that I do not like, is wilderness and tempted. Why is it that after you go through a big thing, there's always a challenge? You have a big service. You, you go to a great retreat and you're touched by God. How many know the enemy is always waiting at the door? You go to a retreat on a mountain, he's at the bottom of the mountain waiting for you. And he's going to try to deceive you. But the Spirit of God led Jesus in for a purpose, something that we can learn from. And he said, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those 40 days. And at the end of them, he was hungry. Someone say hangry. I think I would have been hangry at the end of 40 days. And the, and the Bible says that the devil said to him, now I don't know if the devil was taunting him the entire time, if he was nitpicking and picking at him and saying little things at him and causing him to wear down, because that's what he does in our lives. He, he's, try, he's trying to wear you down. He's always trying to wear you down by the nitpicking and all of the things that he throws our way. Or if he just came at the end of the 40 days. I've read several versions, and they all kind of say some different things. But at this point, Satan's going for the jugular. So whatever he was doing beforehand, he was hitting the high note right here. And he says, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, he immediately goes after his identity. Satan immediately went after. He began to question. First thing out of the chute question what God had just said, what God had just declared. Just like in Genesis when 
the enemy said to Eve, what did she say? What did he say? Did God really say? Thank you. Did God really say? He's always there to cast doubt. Satan's first line of defense is to doubt, get us to doubt our identity in Christ because he knows that if we have question about what our salvation has given to us, about what we are in Christ, that opens the door for his influence. It causes a crack in our armor that he can begin to infiltrate and he will weasel his way in if there's doubt in your mind about your identity. He says, if you are the son of God, and then he pulls out the, the big guns. Even when Jesus was at his weakest, he's pulling out the big guns. He goes for the big three, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. We all know the scripture. We probably read this, this passage many times, but I will read it again for the sake of remembering. He says, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answers, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He meets the temptation with the declaration of God's word. Then the devil, in verse 5, he says, The devil led him to a high place and showed him in an instant all of the kingdoms of this world. And he said to him, I will give you all of their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anybody that I want, if you will worship me. And Jesus says, it is written. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil goes to the next level and he starts to, to mess up the scripture. He's using the word against Jesus in a sense and he takes it out of context and the devil leads him to Jerusalem and he had him stand on the highest point of the temple and he says, if you are the son of God. He said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up on, um, in their hands so that you will strike, not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus didn't even waver, didn't quiver. He says, it is said. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. For every if that the enemy set in motion, Jesus had an it. For every doubt, Jesus spoke truth. Jesus, in the wilderness, at his weakest point, declared victory for us. Showed us how to walk through. That's the treasure of the wilderness, friends. Is that we understand our identity. We know the truth, and we can use that treasure not only in the promised land, but in the wilderness experiences of our lives. Because the Bible says in verse 13, when the devil had finished all his temptings, he, was le he left him until a more opportune time. So how many know he's coming back? He's always going to come back. I love this because Jesus knew his identity. God had given the promise, which he always does in our lives if we have the ears to hear and the eyes to see. He poured truth into Jesus. He understood the purpose of the wilderness. And there's the clincher. Jesus defeated Satan by using a weapon that everybody here has at their disposal, the sword of the Spirit and the Word of God. It's not complicated. But we have to know how to fight. 
Even when he was worn out and tired and hungry, he knew exactly what to do. And that's what God's calling us. That's the treasure that we have to use in the wilderness. And then the Bible says, Jesus emerged, not worn out and empty, because how many know when we go through a hard time, we are pooped out. We feel empty. No, he emerged empowered with dunamis power. So that means that we can emerge out of a difficult time and out of a wilderness experience or maybe a wilderness mindset, empowered to go and to change our world, to go and to minister life and minister salvation and bring healing and bring miracles because that's what Jesus did. And how many know if Jesus did it, the Bible says we're going to do much more than he ever did. He emerged empowered, not defeated. He didn't let the wilderness defeat him, but he found the treasure. He found God's provision. He, he found God's presence and his power. He saw God in that dry place, and he made the weakness strong. Our victory is ours, ladies and gentlemen. The victory is ours in the wilderness, even in the wilderness mentality that we might have. That's how you fight the battle, is not believing the doubt, not believing the lie, but speaking the truth, defying what the enemy is trying to pour at you because he's always going to do it. He will, oh, there will always be a more opportune time, and I want to encourage you. I didn't know what I was going to speak on, but the Holy Spirit woke me up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and he said, wilderness, there's treasure in the wilderness. And so I know that he was speaking, uh, talking to me about what we are going through. We have to understand how to occupy in the wilderness. Jesus occupied, just like we, he did, they did in the promised land. Jesus taught us how to occupy. He changed the narrative from defeat to victory for us. James 1, 2 says this, For you know that when your faith is tested, it stirs up power within you to endure all things. And as your endurance grows even stronger, you will release perfection into every part of your being until there is nothing missing and nothing lacking. Don't misinterpret the wilderness experiences. Don't misinterpret that. God's calling us to draw close and to stand firm and to declare the word. Let's all stand together. I just want to pray over you because I know at this beginning part of the year, we may have a, a fresh excitement, fresh, but how many know the devil's always looking for a more opportune time? So we don't live defensively. We need to live offensively. Amen? So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be revealing yourself to each and every one of us, God, in a greater way than we have ever known. Lord, we want what we're calling 2020 vision of you, God. First off, 2020 vision of you, not of what we're to do or where we're called to go, but a 2020 vision, a clear vision of you, not in just the good times, but in the difficult places. And God, I pray, Father, against that wilderness mentality. God, we cast that down in Jesus' name. Lord, and I speak, Lord, your kingdom, God, to infiltrate the kingdom mindset, to infiltrate our thinking, 
to infiltrate our hearts, God, that we would understand and know the power of your word in wilderness mindsets and wilderness experiences, God, and that we will grab hold of the treasure, realize that we're not alone, but God, you never leave us or forsake us, that we're not defeated because you always lead us into triumph, that we do not have to be afraid because you have not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of a sound mind. And God, we declare the promise of God over us today in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen, amen, and amen. I think the band is going to play. If you have to go, be encouraged in the Lord in whatever state you're in. God bless you. Have a great day. We love you.